Thank you, Sandra. And we're staying with that big story. The disciplinary hearing against suspended NPA senior prosecutor Glynis Breitenbach has cleared her of all 15 charges. One of the core charges against the anti-graft prosecutor included allegations that she failed to act impartially when investigating a Kumba ore or iron ore session and Imperial Crown Trading Mines uh, right deal. Now, Breitenbach was suspended from the NPA on April the 30th in 2012. She claimed that Acting National Director of Public Prosecutions, Ngobo Jiba, suspended her in an effort to stop her from prosecuting the former police crime intelligence boss, Richard Mdluli, on fraud and other charges. Now, for more on this, we joined on the line by our reporter, Pumzile Mlangeni. Pumzile, good afternoon. Afternoon, Elvis. Not guilty on all 15 charges? You want to take us through what uh, took place today? Yes, basically, uh, the chairperson, Selvin Benenge, he did not waste time in handing down the judgment, saying that some of the... Uh, uh, issues, you know, relating to the court cases, he will not dwell into. But basically, what he's saying is that after, you know, at um, throughout the, the the disciplinary hearing and the evidence brought forward by the NPA, uh, he found it fit that she he, he not he should not find uh, Breitenbach guilty because their basis mainly um, on the on the on the uh, charges that were laid against her. They could not prove such, you know, especially when it comes to the laptop issue. There was a laptop which, you know, they forced her to surrender, which uh, they said she must do so because it's an NPA laptop. It belonged to the organization. And they came, NPA came uh, saying that, you know, Breitenbach refused to do that because she had information that would implicate her in this mining rights case. Uh, but Mbeneng is saying that, you know, with the evidence brought forward and everything, he found that you know, there's no basis and that uh, Breitenbach, it was within her own right to do that and whatever she did was constitutional and again according to the laws and policies that govern the NPA. So uh, all the charges, you know, she's been cleared of, of all the charges and Benenga said that, you know, he thought, he, he, you know, he took long to, to, to come up with a... Um, to make the judgment and after, you know, finding it fit that all the charges laid against her, they had no basis and there was no uh, enough uh, evidence to prove that uh, she, she, she indeed uh, had an influence on those uh, in the court case. What has been the NPA's reaction to the decision? Well, we've been trying to get hold of the NPA since we were in their offices, but, you know, uh, at this stage we, we have nothing at all. We're still waiting to get reaction from the NPA, uh, but we can expect for them basically to say that they are still going to study the judgment and or perhaps they will tell us what is the way forward. Are they going to allow her back or what's going to happen? But we, we spoke to our Britain Park's legal representative and he said that they were elated, you know, at the decision and that should the NPA offer to you know, have a job, I mean, she would take it because that's what she loves. But at the moment, we're still waiting for the NPA to, you know, to hear their reaction about this. So you didn't, you didn't get any direct reaction from Breitenbach herself on the, on the decision? No, Breitenbach, you know, she said she could not talk to the media, but her legal representative would do that. And he had a mini press briefing for like a few minutes just to, you know, uh, tell us about the, the, the decision that has been made today. And basically what we got is that they are happy. And you could see after the judgment was made, you know, they hugged each other. And Breitenbach showed that, you know, she was indeed elated and said that, you know, it, it, she has maintained that she's innocent all along. And today it's proved that she is indeed innocent. And uh, you did indicate earlier that uh, we don't know when she's going to, going to go back to work, but is there any indication from her team or her legal team when that might happen? For now, the legal team, what it's saying is that it's waiting for NPA to come to them and they could talk, basically find a way forward. So basically what they're saying is that for them on their side, everything is fine. It will be up to the NPA to decide where to from now. But if she was off, if, if she were to be offered her job back, then she would take the job with both hands. She says she still loves the job. Uh, but we, the NPA, you know, will come up and say this is, this is what we are going to take on from now. This is the way forward. But for now, um, we don't know anything from from NPA and we're still waiting for them. Possibly a statement will be released uh, later today. And that was our report on the scene, Pumzile Mlangeni, on uh, the Glynis Breitenbach story. As you heard there, she's been cleared of all 15 charges. What do you make of it? You can SMS us your comment to the number 34701. What do you make of uh, the charges against Glynis Breitenbach, the NPA prosecutor, being cleared of all 15 charges against her? Let us know what's on your mind. That number to dial 34701. That's the SMS line. Start your SMS with the word weekend. And uh, you can also visit us on the Twitter page. The Twitter handle is SAFM. 
Midday Live. That's at SAFM Midday Live. Put your comments and uh, we'll read them as we continue. It is now 10 minutes past 12. The MEC for the Department of uh, Cooperative Governance, Human Settlements and Traditional Affairs, Clifford Motsepe, has just briefed the media about preparations towards the 2013 initiation period. The briefing follows a meeting uh, earlier that he had with stakeholders involved in the tradition uh, in the Limpopo province. The purpose of that meeting was to prepare the initiation school stakeholders on precautionary measures to be followed in order to have a smooth process during the June-July 2013 initiation period. For more on this, we joined on the line by the MEC for the Department of Cooperative Governance, Human, Se- Human Settlements and Traditional Affairs, Clifford Motsepe. MEC, good afternoon. Good afternoon, and to your listeners. Now, you briefed the media on the preparations towards 2013, the initiation period. You want to tell us more about this? Well, uh, I haven't yet briefed the media. I'm still going to brief the media now. But uh, what we're going to be telling the media and the people of South Africa is that the initiation school, since the Indian Popo, is only going to be starting on the 14th of June and uh, closing on the 13th of July, meaning it's four weeks. But very unfortunately, we are starting on a wrong note this year because we have already lost uh, six lives in the province. And this is mainly because of the traditional leaders who have uh, conducted illegal initiation schools in the province. And it is quite regrettable that these are the same traditional leaders that have done the same uh, in the last financial year. Now, we have called... uh, all the stakeholders in the province, specifically senior traditional leaders and traditional surgeons, to just remind them about the importance of observing laws and regulations in the province. Because uh, generally the province will be doing very, very well in respect of initiation schools. So is it not too late, though, MEC, given that six people have already died? No, no, it's never too late at all. Uh, as I'm saying... These uh, six people uh, were lost at initiation schools that were conducted without permits, without the approval of government. So these are just a few traditional leaders who have become law unto themselves. But let me tell the South Africans at large that uh, we've already acted as the provincial government of Limpopo. We've uh, opened uh, criminal cases in terms of the Northern Province Circumcision Schools Act. Any person who conducts an illegal initiation school uh, commits a criminal offence. So we've already opened criminal cases and uh, we hope that the law enforcement agencies will do their work. In fact, nobody must be spared. Uh, It doesn't matter what is your status in the community. Even if you are a chief, for as long as you don't observe our laws, you must be uh, arrested. And we hope that uh, they will be charged with murder at the most culpable homicide. Now, how many illegal initiation schools are there in the province, and how many initiation schools have you approved as the department? Look, as a province, we've uh, approved 142 um, uh, initiation schools, uh, but it has come to our attention that uh, there are about uh, 32 illegal initiation schools under one Hoshi, uh, specifically Hoshi PJ Machango, and uh, about 16 illegal initiation schools under Hoshokuluma uh, Boko, and uh, one illegal initiation school under one Hoshi uh, by the name of Kobos. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. So what sort of measures are you going to take as a department against these uh, initiation schools uh, that is illegal? As I've already indicated, we have uh, done what the law expects us to do. Uh, the the Northern Province Circumcision uh, Schools Act says under the circumstances we have to open criminal cases. We have written uh, uh, letters to uh, the Provincial Commission of Police in the province. We have also written letters to the station commissioners or station commanders of the police stations uh, who have got the jurisdictions uh, on those uh, initiation schools. As I'm saying, obviously we expect them to make arrests soon, so watch the space. So you're not going to close them immediately, these 32 schools that's illegal? Uh, look, we, 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 we will not be in the position to immediately close them because uh, we don't want the situation to boomerang on us as government. 
The danger of closing an initiation school is that uh, it may be at the stage where it is very, very difficult to do so, given the conditions of the initiates, as we speak. So closing them down may not necessarily be an answer. Uh, we're exploring other possibilities other than closing them down. What about the uh, schools, initiation schools, where the six people died? Those included as well. Um, as I'm saying, it may not be helpful under the circumstances to go there and close them down because you may inadvertently create more deaths and strife. And that uh, is uh, on the line there to us, uh, the uh, MEC uh, for Corporative Governance and Human Settlements and Traditional Affairs, Clifford Motsepe. Now, um, we also uh, have on the line in Mpumalanga province, traditional leaders and government have resolved that the health authorities and all traditional leaders under the jurisdiction of the Indibele monarch King Moboko III will uh, frequently visit various initiation schools to monitor the situation. This follows the confirmed deaths of 30 initiates at initiation schools in that province. For more on this, we joined uh, on the line by our reporter Stembiso uh, Mabiela. Uh, Stembiso, good afternoon. Now, uh, what is the latest uh, on the matter in Mpumalanga? Um, as you would recall that earlier um, uh, on last week Friday, the traditional leaders and government met at Kwamshanga to discuss the future of initiation and circumcision rituals in the province. And indeed, as is, the traditional leaders and authorities, health authorities have resolved that um, now all the traditional leaders under the Ndebele monarch, King Mapogo III, will have to frequently visit um, various initiation schools and do pre-screening um, to the initiate and uh, as you would recall, Elvis, that most of the initiates were alleged or died due to dehydration and excessive bleeding. And now what they said is that um, the Department of Health have dispatched a team to all the initiation schools around the province to assist in that regard in terms of complications. And you would also recall, Elvis, that um, uh, on Friday the task team, which was appointed by the Mpumalanga Provincial Government, was supposed to... Uh, submit their reports to the Premier of Mpumalanga, uh, Honorable Titi Mabuza, and we are still waiting for the uh, Office of the Premier to give us a response as to what really transpired or what were, what were the findings of the task team uh, in Mpumalanga. Has there been any arrest yet? Uh, Elvis, when I spoke to the police earlier this morning, they did indicate that um, no arrests have been uh, opened and so far 28 murder cases have been opened and one remains an inquest. And yeah. And that is our reporter on the scene, Stambiso Mayibela. Bring the time now to 18 minutes past 12. Our top story at this hour, suspended National Prosecuting Authority Senior Prosecutor Glennis Breitenbach has been acquitted on all 15 charges against her. Looking at the market, gold is trading at $1,393.84 an ounce, platinum at $1,460.30 per ounce, the rand is trading at 9 rand and 60 cents against the US dollar, at 14 rand and 54 cents to the pound, and at 12 rand and 42 cents to the euro. The National Arts Festival in Grahamstown runs from the 27th of June to the 7th of July. The biggest festival on the continent has 3,000 performances, including the best theatre, hottest jazz, awesome dance, great music, lectures, comedy, film, performance art, exhibitions and much more. It's the place to be this winter. Book now at CompuTicket. Visit us online at www.nationalartsfestival.co.za. The National Arts Festival, 11 days of amazing, in partnership with SAFM. South Africa's news and information leader. Join NetBank and SAFM in keeping others warm this winter. Support the NetBank SAFM winter campaign by donating a minimum amount of 50 rands into the winter campaign account at a NetBank branch. Or contribute 20 rands by SMSing the word WINTER to 40017. For more information on the campaign, visit netbank.co.za. Make things happen. NetBank. In partnership with SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader, bringing warmth this winter.
SAFM, in partnership with the Tabo Mbeki African Leadership Institute and the Tabo Mbeki Foundation, will be hosting their fourth annual Tabo Mbeki Africa Day lecture. The lecture defining Africa's place in the 21st century will be delivered by the former president of Cape Verde, His Excellency Pedro Perez. Join me, Masichaba Mdolo, for the special broadcast on the 31st of May at the ZK Matthews Hall at UNISA in Pretoria at 7 p.m. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. You're listening to Midday Live right here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. It is 21 minutes past 12. Many foreigners who had their shops looted in Orange Farm last week have not returned to their businesses. The looting followed residents' complaints that some foreign-owned shop, or shops rather, sold food that is not fit for human consumption. They also complained that there is a growing number of illegal foreign nationals living in the Val Triangle. Gauteng Police Spokesperson Lungelo Dlamini says a community hall has been made available to accommodate those who are afraid of returning to their shops. Now for more on this, we joined on the line by our reporter on the scene, Horasani Sitole. Horasani, good afternoon. Afternoon, how are you, Bongi? Oh, no, it's Elvis Horasani, but would you please brief oh. us on the situation there, please? Oh, Elvis, I've been driving around since this morning, you know, checking the place. I mean, Everton, as we speak, so uh, the whole of uh, the Val, uh, Val site of the Renegade, I mean, no, 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 I mean, of Orange Farm and uh, Everton, all the shops are closed. I've managed to speak to two of uh, the, the, the Somali nationals now, uh, some few minutes before we go on air, where they say they don't, they don't feel safe anymore. I mean, one of them, he said to me that he invested about 70,000 rands when he left Somalia, and, and, and since he came here, he started a shop and was doing well, but now he's worried, and his, his major problem is that he cannot go home, because also where he's coming from, there are political uh, problems, uh, too much of fightings and killings and all that. Are these all illegal migrants? Uh, unfortunately, some of them, they, they are not illegal. As, as, as people who've got documents and all that, so they came here to set up businesses. I think they, another question is uh, whether they registered to to the authorities to own shops or whatnot. Uh, that could be the question for, 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 for to follow. But now, uh, in terms of uh, being illegal foreigners, no, uh, some of them have documents. So where are they now, all these shop owners that have vacated their shops? Uh, apparently they've been moved to a place of safety which is unknown to me but I've managed to get uh, some who remain but they say uh, they, 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 uh, about uh, two nights ago their, 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 their stock was taken away and all that. Mm-hmm. Have the police made any arrests following the looting? Uh, unfortunately I've never heard anything about, about that but uh, something that we're still looking to. And that's our reporter on the scene, Horasani Satole. Now, to interrogate this issue even further, we are now joined on the line by the Advocacy Officer for the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa, Alfani Yoyo. Alfani, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Now, last week, shops of some foreign nationals were looted in Orange Farm. What's your take on this matter? Um, uh, listen, we do not really uh, condone that and we do not like it uh, when uh, 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 locals or anybody takes the law into, into his own hands and we do not really encourage that people start doing things without really contacting the relevant bodies that should uh, at least address this issue, this matter. So for us, it's really a shock again, just as uh, we are always shocked by any uh, any xenophobic violent incident that uh, that do happen in the country. We, we, we are not really happy with that situation. Have you been in touch with the foreign-owned shop uh, owners there? We were in touch, unfortunately, with just a few, uh, maybe two or three. Yeah, we, we tried to talk to them and uh, listen to them as well. Yeah. What are they saying as the problem on the ground? Why are people looting their shops? They, 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 they are saying, I mean, most of, I mean, all of them told us that they do not really know the reason behind the, the, this looting because, uh, 
they ha- and they weren't even prepared for any such event to to occur in a, in, a, in 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 that area because it all started i think uh, the, the 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 last guy also might have told you how it started it all started in Sibukeng before it extended or spread to Everton and Val then Orange Farm so they do not understand especially those who are in Orange Farm how this could affect them because they weren't even part of the uh, the shooting as we heard that a Somali uh, shopkeeper did shoot, shoot someone uh, who was trying to rob his shop in Sibukeng so they do not know why they should be targeted rather well, Mr. Yoyo, let me put it to you this way. The community members say they were complaining that the foreign-owned shop sold food that is not fit for human consumption. What's your take? Yes, uh, we do not also, as much as we do protect the rights of uh, refugees and migrants in the country, but we do not condone that. We do not encourage that shopkeepers uh, uh, sell expired food to the local population or anybody anyone in the country to sell any expired products to anyone for consumption. So we, on the other hand, also do not really want to encourage the local population to take the law, as I said, in their own hands. They, they have to follow the proper channels. They should report to the police when they have noticed that they have been selling this expired food. If it's true for, uh, for some times, then they should already report that to the police and the police should intervene or to any other uh, uh, relevant body which did not which which uh, the population did not fo- follow so we, we we also do not really like the way they they, they acted even though it, it, it is uh, uh, something that should be raised something that that, that is worrying yeah. so you confirm that you heard this particular allegation from the community we heard yes the population yes they are complaining about that but all those shopkeepers that we spoke to did not confirm that unfortunately and we also tried to tell them if that is true then they should not do that and 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 they can even end up uh, being uh, arrested because of that we 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 really tried to tell them it's a crime you cannot sell any expired product to any human being so they should really refrain from doing uh, such a thing which is a, a criminal act we told them like that, even though they didn't accept that they they are doing they are selling such products to to the people. Now, as the consortium for refugees and migrants in South Africa, what are you doing, Mr. Yoyo, to solve this uh, the, the situation in the area? Actually, we we what we uh, what we have done, we tried also to uh, uh, contact some of our partners, like the militia, who also have their uh, presence in Orange Farm. And they were, they always work together with the police, uh, because first of all, what we would like to, 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 to see is that the, the situation normalizes, that at least there is some kind of, 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 uh, of, of calm, and that uh, people are not, uh, not, uh, looting, uh, the shops, and, and that really, uh, for that, we, uh, we really do thank the police, uh, presence. And also, we are trying to talk to, um, um, our, I mean, the the, the business uh, uh, against crime to see how we can all address this issue together. On our side, we will be able to invite foreign nationals and the business against crime also try to address some of the issues that are related to businesses in the in the area. And that was the advocacy officer from the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa, Alfani Yoyo. Now, you can send us your comments uh, on the SMS line 34701. 34701, that is the SMS line. Start your SMS with the word weekend. You can like us on that uh, Twitter page. The Twitter handle is at SAFM midday live that's at safm midday live now on the essay uh, on the sms line uh, this one says midday well done a bit of justice in this corrupt south africa i pray that this country will one day be what we wanted for so long honestly or honesty uh, and justice that's from Millie in umtata i'm sure she's re- referring to the breitenbach uh, case there where she was acquitted of all 15 charges against her and uh, of course we'll carry some of those stories forward in a short while but right now it is 12:30
It is time for the news headlines. A heated argument ensued between advocate Dalian Porfu and the chairperson of the Morikana Commission of Inquiry, retired judge Ian Farlam, over the line of questioning that Mpofu was taking against Police Commissioner Ria Piecha. Mpofu accused Farlam during the hearing in Rustenburg in Northwest of assisting Piecha in her answering of questions. Piecha was asked about the deployment of senior police officers at the event, such as Morikana, where 3,000 people had gathered. Itumalang Kanyani reports. Mpofu, who looked irritated by the objections from other lawyers as well, urged Falam not to help the witness with her answers, which Falam did not take very well, saying he was only assisting Mpofu to put his question into perspective. Police lawyer Ishmael Semenya and Lonmin lawyer Skalp Vega also objected to Mpofu's line of questioning. They say Mpofu must ask Pierre relevant questions and not waste time asking the witness about other police witnesses' statements. Mpofu and Pierre took time arguing on whether Major General Charles Anandale needed no authorization from his senior officials in the SAPS. Anandale concluded his cross-examination last week. He testified that he did not need to have his involvement on the work of Marikana's nature sanctioned by his seniors. Pierre has, however, even though in not many ways, backed up Anandale's statement saying she had given an order for senior police officers to assist in Marikana. She says, therefore, it was not necessary for her to approve Anandale's trip. The commission is probing the cause of the incidents in which 44 people were killed in Marikana last year during the unprotected strike by Luanmin workers. For SABC News, I'm Itumelian Kaljani in Rustenburg. Bring the time now to 12.33. Now, you can keep them coming. That's your SMSs to the number 34701. That's the SMS line. Start your SMS with the word weekend. And uh, you can also follow us uh, on the Twitter page. Our handle there is SAF at SAFM Midday Live. Now, on the SMS line, yeah. <laughs> Here's one from, um, let me see, this is Rasvik. He says, greeting Elvis, for concern, when is SAFM going to invite Brother Gareth of the Dacha party? We, <laughs> we want to uh, understand uh, the philosophy of this holy party. So that's one of the SMSs there. We'll come back to some of those in a short while. Right now. Free state municipalities are owed more than 8 billion rand because of payments in arrears by government, residents and businesses. In a report released by the provincial treasury, the problem has been attributed to poor debt collection procedures. Municipalities are also in desperate need of funds to pay off debt of nearly 2 billion rand that they jointly owe to various suppliers of goods and services. Tebo Shaba filed this report presented by Barry Clarsen. Cash-tapped free state municipalities have been blamed for their own financial woes. They have a poor record of financial bookkeeping, which makes it almost impossible to have an adequate cash flow. The municipalities also struggle to pay suppliers. The Machabang local municipality, which includes Valcom, has a huge debt of 764 million rand. The neighbouring Nala municipality, which includes Buetavol and Vesselsbron, owes suppliers more than 230 million rand. The Democratic Alliance whip in the Nala municipality, Bully Botma, has slammed the municipality's failure to collect revenue. For 20 months, this municipality has not been sending out any accounts, so therefore uh, uh, hardly any money has been coming on. This is having a serious impact on the ability of municipalities to carry out services, build roads and maintain infrastructure. Most of the municipalities owe bulk suppliers such as Bloomwater and Sedi Bangwater millions of rands. And power utility ESCOM has even threatened to switch off the lights to force municipalities to pay up. Nala Municipal Manager Chris Mokumela says they are doing their utmost to settle the debts despite their financial woes. The manner in which we are handling our expenditure is such that we are able to address uh, key issues, you know, uh, paying our ESCOM account 1 million per week, our Citibank account plus minus 500,000 per week, and we are also addressing some of the service delivery challenges in terms of your refuse removal trucks. A special task team made up of four provincial departments has been formed to deal with the challenges facing municipalities. Cooperative Governance MEC Olihum Lamlele says plans are in progress to help battling municipalities with their bookkeeping. Record keeping is very important. We want to know that there must be availability of supporting documents. 
But we see that most of the time we have uh, problems in this size that is concerned. So we are training them. We are further capacitating them, and some of them, they are already at work. Government departments are also defaulting. They account for more than 300 million rand that is owed to various municipalities. Mlamlele has downplayed the crisis, however. We have paid municipalities an amount of 205 million for, for, for services. And further than that, we paid 268 million for rates and taxes. This is an indication that we are moving through the committee, they are reconciling, they are putting their claims correctly. And that report there comes at 12.37 the time now. Uppington in the Northern Cape has been hit by an outbreak of diarrhoea. Since the outbreak, five children have died and over 300 people are being treated. Earlier this year, the village of Khaurile was also hit by a severe outbreak of diarrhoea, allegedly from contaminated water supplies, resulting in one death. Now, for more details on this, we joined on the line by the Communications Manager, Department of Health in the Northern Cape, Lulu Krikeso. Uh, Lulu, good afternoon. Afternoon. Now, briefly give us an update on this matter. What actually happened? What has happened is that we have noticed a high number of diarrheal cases that were brought to our health facilities around the Atkinson area. And uh, so far we have about treated about 350 people with the symptoms. Six of them are still admitted in hospital, although some have been discharged over the weekend. Mm. What is the source of the outbreak? Has that been established? It has not been established because we have sent e-stool samples to our laboratories and we have also taken e-water samples to the laboratory. We are still waiting for the results to ascertain the cause of the outbreak. Now, when did this happen? Over the weekend? No, this has, the, this has happened over a week, I think, because we started to see the high number of people uh, coming to our facilities beginning of last week. Mm-hmm. Now, in my intro, I mentioned there was five children that already died and 300 people is, are being treated currently. Is that correct, or is there more? Yes, that is correct. Five children who are under the age of three have died, mm-hmm. but uh, we have 350 that we have treated. Are, are you expecting okay. this, this death toll to increase? No, we are doing everything in our power to reduce or to end the death toll. Mm-hmm. Hence, we are appealing to people who notice, especially young children, who notice any diarrheal symptoms to quickly take them to either a clinic or a hospital. Now, this is not the first time that a province gets hit by a diarrhea outbreak. What are you doing as uh, the provincial government there to assist the people of Uppington? We continue with our health promotion messages where we are encouraging people to regularly wash hands, especially after changing the baby's nappies or before eating or after using the bathroom. Those are the messages that we are trying to put across our communities that can prevent diarrhea. Is that the only thing that they must do to ensure that they don't get diarrhea? Yes, because most of our community members are getting water from ETEP, which uh, water is clean, is cleaned, and it has gone to, it has been purified. That is the communications manager of the Department of Health in the Northern Cape, Lulu Kakeso, speaking to us there from Uppington, 1240, uh, 20 minutes before the hour of one. Let's now go to Pretoria. As part of Child Protection Week, we look at the state of the country's children's well, of the children's well-being. Now, the country has done relatively well in providing laws such as the Child Act, but to look at the challenges that the country is facing in this regard, we are joined on the line by Professor Foley Spies of the Department of Social Development and Criminology at the University of Pretoria. Professor, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Alice. Now, firstly, Professor, what is your view on the Child Protection Act, uh, the Child Protection Week, rather, that's happening this week? Well, you know, I think it's wonderful that we have a week that highlights the best interest of our children. I still feel, even if it's going well in our country, I think that we can do much more, you know, in terms of 
the trauma that children has been exposed to, to make people more aware, you know, of the different types of trauma because I think sometimes we define trauma as sexual abuse or physical abuse, etc. But we, we overlook sometimes the whole thing of neglect children also in terms of the basic needs of children. So I think it's a good thing that it happened to, to alert people again to, to do the most they can for our children. What uh, stats do we have in the country with regards to child development and child protection in the country? I think uh, I haven't got the direct stats in front of me, but I, uh, what I do know, you know, is that it's, it's still too high. Um, in terms of the the fact that how children is actually being um, processed, uh, you know, through our children courts, etc. I think our children's courts is highly, highly busy, you know, to remove children and, and to make sure that children is being uh, safe in other placements, etc. So I think it's it's totally too high. One more children that we have to of child that we have to remove is actually um, too much, too many, you know. So I just feel that we uh, we're still in a situation where in which we can be very concerned about the stability of our children. Now, we do have the Children's Act in place, but do we have adequate protection measures in place to protect our children, you think, Professor? No, we don't have. I think often that um, uh, my feeling is that there's so many professions involved. It's not only social workers, it's psychologists, it's the medical field, etc., etc. I often feel that we work too uh, often in compartments, you know, not working together by helping and thinking together, have brainstorms, you know, how, what can we do actually to make lives better for, for our children. So um, even if we have the act, and you know, in our act we have this wonderful article in terms of the principle of the best interest of children. My feeling is that, um, you know, not everybody understands really that article. What do we need to do as professionals actually to safeguard our children? Often, we punish people that's doing wrong things, but I think we have to change our focus, helping people that's doing things not to carry on with that. You know, that, that hurt our children. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that we also have adequate social uh, development and, 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 and social measures in place to protect our children? I think it's, I think it's there. Um, you know, all the, as you said, the, you know, the law is there, the, 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 the best articles. We have a lot of people um, in the field that's really very sensitive to our children. But um, as I said, you know, that, that we, we, and I'm very serious about this, we have to, to change our focus in terms of, of, you know, what can we do in a positive way and in terms of a developmental way, you know, to create um, uh, more resources for our children, to be more sensitive in terms of developmental needs of our children, to be, you know, when we become aware of a three-year-old is not developing according to developmental stage of a child, to be rather to um, to be um, not reactive but proactive in terms of helping children. Um, but but then there's another thing, you know, in terms of of uh, if we refer to uh, the wonderful documents that we have in, in place in South Africa to help children. We just finalised the assessment tools, the very first in South Africa, to support actually professionals to make better judgments in terms of children, not allowing children in situations where they're more at risk, but also not to remove children where the risk is not so high. In other words, if we remove children, we actually re-traumatize children if it was not necessary to do. So we are very actually, um, um, you know, in a situation where, from a scientific level, that I think we can just do better in the future. Some would argue that children have just too much rights, but would you agree that there's a challenge when it comes to the difference between parenting and child's rights? And, And is there some way where they can meet? Oh, yes. I, I think children do have rights, you know, but not rights that where they become actually not protective, you know, that uh, when, when, when you refer to children's rights that they can do whatever they can do because they, they allow to speak up. But the law is very, very clearly with that. We need to allow children to participate, but according to their maturity and their age, sometimes you have to help children to think differently. But parenting is a huge problem in our country because we can't just accept that everybody knows how to parenting a child. And that's what I'm referring to, to be proactive, helping parents to be better parents, and then we will have less 
children that have to be removed from parents' households. Now, this week is Child Protection Week, Professor. How do we celebrate it? Or is there anything to celebrate? Yes, I think we do have, you know, it's, it's a fact that there's children and that's, they are our future. We need to celebrate that we have a, a huge potential in our country and, and children, if you start working with children, you become so aware of the creative minds of children and children have the capacity to contribute even on a very, very young level to solutions in their lives. But we must realize we must allow them to view their ideas with us because all children have capacity. Let us use that and not think on our own as adults, but respect them. Thank you so much. That was Professor Foley Spies of the Department of Social Development and Criminology at the University of Pretoria talking about the Child Protection Week that it's kicking off this week. And of course, as you know, children have got rights, but remember, there's also responsibility with those rights. It is now 12.47. 7 million children in South Africa go to school every day without shoes. Join Flipper Friday movement in partnership with SAFM. Let's make a difference to a soul this winter by wearing a pair of flip-flops on Friday the 31st of May 2013. Purchasing a pair of flip-flops will afford an underprivileged child to own a pair of school shoes. To join the movement, go to www.flipflopfridaymovement.co.za. How do you keep your home warm and energy efficient this winter? Insulation is one of the most important solutions to improving the energy efficiency of your home. Insulated houses stay warmer in winter by retaining the warmth generated in rooms and preventing the escape of heat. Insulation will help you use less electricity and assist in reducing the pressure on the national power grid. So keep warm while using less electricity and help us beat the peak to keep South Africa powered up. ESCOM, powering your world. 12.48, a little bit late, but it's time to cross to the dealer room at Sasfin Securities with Paul More. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, Elvis. Are we trading ahead of the release of the SA second quarter GDP figures this week? Elvis, our market is trading flat on very low volumes as uh, both New York and London are closed for public holidays. In Europe, we've got the DAX up 0.52 of a percent. The CAC 40 is 0.61 of a percent better. Back to the JSC, we've got the Gold Index down 0.6 of a percent. Resource Index up 0.12 of a percent. Industrial Index up a quarter of a percent. Financial Index up 0.15 of a percent. The overall market is up 60 points or 0.15 of a percent to 41,059 points. And apparently we had results from Cady's, Silovo Sugar, Famous Brands and Vukila Property. Uh, firstly, Cadiz released their full year result. The diluted headline earnings per share were up 175% to 2.2 cents. It's against to 0.8 of a cent previously. A final dividend of uh, 7 cents per share was declared. Cadiz is currently trading unchanged at 1 rand and 43 cents. Ilovo Sugar released their full year result as well. Headline earnings per share were up uh, 43% to 189.6 cents. It's against 132.5 cents previously. Operating profit was up uh, 41% to 1.9 billion rands. A capital distribution of 61 cents per share was declared. Ilovo Sugar is currently trading 1.14% higher at 37 rands and 44 cents. Famous Friends also had their results released. Uh, headline earnings per share were up uh, 22% to 339 cents, as against 278 cents previously. Operating profit was up 18% to 466 million rands. A final dividend of 142 cents per share was declared. Famous Brands is currently trading 0.2% higher at 94 rands and 20 cents. Lastly, Vukile Property had their full year results released as well. Headline earnings per linked unit was up 1.2% uh, to 136.2 cents. Uh, final distribution of 131.5 cents was declared. Vukile Properties currently trading 0.1% lower at 18 rands and 93 cents. Market seem busy today, but any big movers? Uh, on the upside, we've got Discovery up 3% to 82 rands and 1 cents. Kuro Holdings up 2.4% to 19 rands and 35 cents. SAB Miller up 1 and 3 quarters of percent to 405 rands and 99 cents. Vodacom up 1.4% to 113 rands and 56 cents. British American Tobacco up 1 and a quarter percent to 543 rands and 95 cents. On the downside, Capitec down 3.5% to 193 rands and 43 cents. Group 5 down 2.7% to 36 rands and 75 cents. True Earth down 2.4% to 87 rands and 50 cents. 
PSG down 2.3% to 63 rands and 20 cents. And lastly, Spa Group down 2.2% to 114 rands and 64 cents. And Paul More, thank you so much for your time. But before we go there, let, let me just uh, take one more. The market indicators, please. Well, gold is currently trading at $1,394.10 an ounce. Platinum, $1,457.95 a fine ounce. Brent crude, $101.35 per barrel. The government R157 is trading at a yield of 5.23%. And now to our currencies, the rent to the dollar is at 9 rands and 59 cents. The rent to the euro is at 12 rands and 42 cents. The rent to the pound is at 14 rands and 52 cents. Back to you, Elvis. And Paul More from Sussman Securities, thank you so much for your input. Soccer news and South Africa's football stars clean up pretty well now. This was evident on Sunday night's Premier Soccer League Awards at Gold Reef City. Players came decked out in their Sunday best to honour the best of the season. The Tumulang Kune was the man of the night as he walked away with a number of awards, adding to Kaiser Chiefs' impressive season and to cause Omshlongo reports. Walking to Goldrift City on Sunday night felt like a rendition of the South African Music Awards. With the glitz and the glamour making it an occasion Hollywood would be proud of, the who's who in the South African football world had gathered in one venue to commend each other for a job well done. Kaiser Chiefs continued from where they left off on the field to dominate the evening. Amakosi skipper Dumile Nkune was the big winner, sweeping the boards with the four awards to earn himself a cool 575,000 rand in prize money. Kune walked away with the Footballer of the Season, AFSA Premiership Players Player of the Season, AFSA Premiership Goalkeeper of the Season and Netbank Cup Player of the Tournament. The Bafana Bafana goalkeeper played a vital role in Amakosi's title-winning campaign. He also became the first goalkeeper since Andrea Aronson in 2002 to win the prestigious Footballer of the Year award. I'm very happy to have been recognised at last because I think, I mean, I was also surprised that uh, I managed to walk away with the Football of the Year because what surprised me is throughout the season I never even won one man of the match but uh, to be recognized as the best player in the PSL I mean I'm so humble and I'm so happy and excited at the same time that was the Tumulang Kune. He cleaned up uh, at the PSL Soccer League Awards at Goldie City last night. But right now, it's time for the world of arts and popular culture with Michelle Constant. Create is proudly presented by Business and Arts South Africa, bringing the business of the arts and the art of business together. As part of the celebrations of Africa Day and to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the African Union, the Pretoria Art Museum is currently showing the touring exhibition titled Kauru, Cultural Brokerage, Africa Imagined, Act One. This is the second year of the project, and it features works by leading visual artists from the South African Development Community, or the SADC region. According to the project director, Tapiso Matlala, the exhibition aims to stimulate conversations within Africa and to promote continental understanding of our heritage and cultural backgrounds using the vehicle of contemporary art. We started this initiative last year with the Department of Arts and Culture. We felt there was a need for visual artists to start engaging around the continent. You know, we needed to start seeing each other as one, and we need to start having a dialogue amongst ourselves. And talking about social cohesion issues, economic issues, you know, the arts, they've got so much relevance in our economy in our society and who we are as the community as well. The project is endorsed and supported by the Department of Arts and Culture, International Relations, or DERCO. Rufus Matibe is director. For us, it's very important that in this era when we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of the AU, we start looking onto the role of culture, the centrality of culture in sustainable development in that matter. So to have these 14 countries exhibiting in one space, I think is another way to create that platform for artists to start a dialogue and see where they come from, where they are going, what role as individual and as collective they can play to create a better Africa. Speaking about the title, Cultural Brokerage, Africa Imagined Act One, 
Curator Melissa Gober says the exhibition intends to start a dialogue about the currency of the African cultural product within the continent. There seems to be a lot of sort of economic activities that have been taking place around culture in relation to Africa and a lot of these activities and the market that seems to have developed then takes place outside of the continent. The whole point of this first act, that's the in bracket act one, is that we start talking about our cultural currency within Africa. And also the reason why it's the first act is that the focus for this particular exhibition is within the SADC region. And hopefully within the bigger Kawura project then, we have the opportunity to have this dialogue or the discussion throughout Africa. Goba hopes that the artists will learn about the cultural structures in the different countries. It's about learning from each other as well. It's about looking at what other countries have been doing within their own cultural spheres and seeing if we can learn from one another, if we can really, really talk to one another, candidly but also practically. For Malawian artist Precious Mahoney, this cultural exchange between other contemporary artists has already taken form. I've seen it happening between the artists who are featured because you find like maybe you're next to an artist from Tanzania and you think, oh, I'm literally a three-hour drive from you, so what is your art scene? like in your country versus mine? Is there an opportunity for me to come over and maybe exhibit my work or work with artists in your region? And dialogue of how your culture can kind of influence your art is really starting to take place. So I think even before it's begun, a lot of dialogue has started to take place, at least among the artists to begin with and the people representing the exhibition. So I'm hoping that continues with the people who come to see the work. And I think that networking is inevitable. Zimbabwean-born artist Gerald Machonis, two photographic images, which are based on a performance piece, show a man in a business suit, masked in Zimbabwean dollars and overlooking a taxi rank. I was inspired by a traditional practice from Malawi called Nyawu, which is a masked masquerade. The Malawian immigrants used it in Zimbabwe as, as immigrants and academic texts have argued that this practice was used as a way of cultural mediation that kind of resulted in addressing xenophobia as an, an issue locally in Zimbabwe. Like through this practice, Malawian immigrants were able to construct how they were perceived. So I kind of appropriated that and used the same motif of currency and started making these masks and looking at different occupations that Zimbabwean migrants and also other African migrants were doing in South Africa. So this is from the first performance and it's from a performance called Ndidi Cross Border Trader which is basically, Ndidi is a prefix in Shana which means I am and it translates I am a cross-border trader. The exhibition, Kauru, Cultural Brokerage, Africa Imagined Act 1 will be running at the Pretoria Art Museum until the 30th of June. I'm Michelle Constant. This feature was produced by Monique Sander and you can email me on create at barsa.co.za. Create, proudly brought to you by Business and Arts South Africa, creating new opportunities for business arts partnerships. Email create at barsa.co.za. And that's where we got to leave. I'd like to thank you for your participation in the program, as well as our team here in studio, Mandisa Mkelo, Sitikazelo Tlamini, and Mabu Balok. Our technical producers, Mark Preller, our senior producer, Nomalisa Mandela, acting chief producer, Vutsi Lokoto, executive producer, Obisu Chia, and Busi Chane. My name is Elvis Preston. We'll be back tomorrow. Same time, same place. Let's hope you have yourself a wonderful afternoon. Cheerio.